because I'm getting yelled at. All right, good morning. Job chapter 39, if you would. That's right, I said Job 39. Closing the gap here. I just mentioned, I think this is only part number 70. Right, Shannon? This is only my 70th lesson, no matter how many years it has taken me. It's only 65. It's only 65. That's pretty good right there. Um, that number sounds a lot better than me saying that I've been teaching this for like two years. So um, Job 39 is where we are, and uh, we're going to probably cover quite a bit of this chapter, I think. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but Job 39, verse number one. The Lord continues, and he will continue into chapter 40 for a couple of verses. Job has a short statement there in 40, and then the Lord comes back in and continues the rest of chapter 40. But uh, Job 39, he says, Knowest thou the time when the wild goats of the rock bring forth, or canst thou mark when the hinds do calve? Canst thou number the months that they fulfill, or... Knowest thou the time when they bring forth, they bow themselves, they bring forth their young ones, they cast out their sorrows, their young ones are in good liking, they grow up with corn, they go forth and return not unto them. Who hath sent, sent out the wild ass free, or who hath loosed the bands of the wild ass, whose house I have made a, the wilderness and the barren land his dwellings. He scorneth the multitude of the city, neither regardeth he the crying of the driver, uh, the range of mountains is his pasture, and he searcheth every green thing. after every green thing. Will the unicorn be willing to serve thee, or abide by thy crib? Canst thou bind the unicorn with, that, with his band in the furrow, or will he harrow the fields, uh, or field, harrow the valleys after thee? Wilt, uh, wilt thou trust him, because his strength is great, or wilt thou leave thy labor to him? Wilt thou believe him, that he will bring home thy seed, and gather it into thy barn? Uh, gavest thou the goodly wings onto the peacocks, or wings and feathers onto the ostrich, which leaveth their eggs in the earth, and warmeth them in dust, and forgetteth that the foot may crush them, or that the wild beast may break them. She is hardened against her young ones, as though they were not hers. Her labor is, vain, is in vain without fear, because God hath deprived her of wisdom, neither hath he imparted to her understanding. What time she lifteth up herself on high, she scorneth the horse and his rider, Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? And I'm going to just stop right there. We can stop somewhere in there. Either way. Uh, but here he is once again, and the Lord's bringing in more questions uh, throughout this chapter. And now he's going to talk about, for basically the entirety of the chapter, he's going to talk about animals uh, and animal life and how they are. And uh, this is what he's going to uh, get into now. And uh, pretty much the earlier chapter was all about the earth and the universe and how things work in the universe and uh, you know what is what is Job ultimately had and those things and he started getting into the animals there at the end of the last chapter and now he's going to continue that thought and so let's have a word of prayer and we'll uh, go ahead and and get into what he has to say. Father we thank you for the day and I thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your grace and Father the fact that you would uh, even reach down and, and speak to us and work with us and save us for all of eternity. Father, we thank you for your, uh, for your uh, sacrifice at Calvary. We pray you'd uh, just bless the day, be with Pastor Legault, and give him the wisdom that he needs to be able to preach, and clarity of thought and mind be with me and the other Sunday school teachers this morning that we'd be able to say what you want us to say. And Father, have everything laid up in order, Father, that you'd be able to give us wisdom as we speak and help it to be understanding 
and understandable, Father, to the hearers. And Lord, once again, we pray you'd bless the day. If someone comes in that's lost, we pray they would see their need of a Savior and call upon Jesus Christ alone. And once again, we pray, uh, Father, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Once again here, uh, Job 39 is where we are, and, and you get into the start of the chapter in the first four verses. Here he talks about uh, the time when uh, the, the wild goats of the rock bring forth, and canst thou mark when the hinds do calve, and uh, so you got the uh, basically the gestational period for goats and for the hinds, and uh, so you're talking, uh, now we know, uh, the ordinary would be somewhere around 147 to 155 days. Uh, for them, we know that. Job, you know, could mark that out if he wanted to, and he could have figured that out, but uh, the Lord's basically like, hey, you know, you know the timing of all these things, but then he says uh, in verse number three, they bow themselves, they bring forth their young, they cast out their sorrows. Uh, that's them giving birth, right? They cast out their sorrows. Isn't that uh, the idea back there in Genesis chapter three, when the Lord brings the brings the judgment there of uh, of to Eve, technically, right? And sorrow shalt thou bring forth there in Genesis three sixteen, and uh, then verse number four, they their young ones are in good looking are in good liking, they grow up with corn, they go forth and return not unto them. Uh, he basically lays out, hey, this is how it works, right? They get older, they grow up, they grow up, and then they leave. They go out and they don't come back. They don't stay with this family. They make their own family. And he's just describing how all that works for them. And it's very simple. And he's, he's basically going, hey, uh, don't you understand? You understand how that works, right, Job? Don't you understand the timing of all these things? Don't you understand how all this thing works? And uh, then he says in verse number 5, Who hath sent out the wild ass free? Or who hath loosed the bands of the wild ass? Um, they, uh, whose, uh, whose house I have made the wilderness and the barren land his dwellings. Uh, once again, he, uh, he's talking about the wild ass now, uh, and he's going through talking about what he does, right? He lives in the wilderness, uh, the barren land is his dwellings. He's out there in the desert in the deserted areas. Uh, he scorneth the multitude of the city, neither regardeth he the cry of the driver, uh, the one who's supposed to be directing him and driving him and moving him, uh, right? That's where we get the phrase stubborn as a mule, right? Uh, just that, that stubborn donkey that just he's not going to move and he's not going to do anything. Uh, he doesn't regard, right? He neither regardeth he the crying of the driver. The driver's trying to tell him what to do. And that guy, he's not going to move for anything. Uh, he's, he's not going to do it. Uh, and that's, that's part of it. The range of the mountains is his pasture, and he searcheth after every green thing. He's just looking for something to eat. He doesn't care about anything, what anybody has to tell him. He doesn't want to listen to anything. Uh, by the way, that's a great picture to a lost man, right? He's stubborn. You can't tell him what to do. You, it just, he's he's going to go ahead and do what he wants to do. And you can't tell him otherwise, and he's gonna, you know, brother, brother Donovan has a really awesome message, and uh, it's entitled "Are You an Ass?" and it's talking about a donkey. And are are you one of those? Is that what you are? And that's a lost man. He he brays. He just yells to yell, and uh, goes ahead just to be heard. And are you are you just some other donkey that's just kicking around and doing that, or uh, do you become like uh, the colt, the foal of an ass, and go ahead and the Lord be able to bridle you and ride you in? And do what you're supposed to do as a servant. Uh, it's a good picture to a lost man. 
And, uh, but he's, he's talking about what they do naturally. And what they do naturally is they're just looking for food. They don't care about anybody else. They're looking to sustain themselves. Uh, a donkey, that's a selfish animal. That's what he is. He's selfish. He's all about him and what he wants and what desires he can get. And he doesn't care what anybody else wants. And then he gets to verse number 9. And I suppose we'll kind of go ahead with the unicorn here, all right? Uh, he says, will the unicorn be willing to serve thee or abide by thy crib? Now, this is where we're going to start getting into something else. Uh, all the commentators want to go, well, that's a rhinoceros. That didn't say a rhinoceros, it said a unicorn. Uh, so either you're going to believe it or you're not going to believe it. And the question, well, you know, what's, you know, what's a unicorn? What's well, a single-horned horse, ultimately, uh, is what it looks like. And uh, those kind of things. And the question comes, well, are those actual and is that possible? Well, jump back to Genesis chapter 6. And this is going to get you into some things. And you can say, well, you're totally wrong. And my answer will be, okay, fine. Uh, I'm not going to argue. I don't really care that much. Uh, but you ought to know some things. And uh, notice what he does. Genesis chapter 6, familiar spot, right? Uh, we know what's happening in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1, all the way through the end of the chapter, right? You can read the whole chapter, and you know what's happening, right? Uh, there's been some contamination that has happened. We understand that. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, in verse number 2, and they took them wives of all they chose. God's statement about it is that there are giants in the land, and we know, we know how that worked. And that's, that's the sons of God, the angels coming down and leaving their first estate and cohabitating with mankind and taking wives and going ahead and having kids, and you get giants. That's how that all worked. We've talked about that before. And he says in verse number 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, notice this, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Well, if it's just man's problem, if it's just the corruption in man, why does he have to destroy everything else? Okay, now just keep reading. Let's see. Right? Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah is perfect in his generations and so on. Verse number 12. And God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt. Why? For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh is come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And then he tells them to make an ark of gopher wood, right? And he sets all the dimensions and he says in verse number 19 and of every living thing of all flesh two of every sort shall thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee they shall be male and female now here's something interesting he's going to destroy all flesh he's going to remove all flesh from the earth but he chooses certain to keep now why did he keep noah he found grace why because he was perfect in his generations in verse number nine meaning what meaning in his generations his line was not corrupted by what god is trying to eliminate well what was he eliminating the corruption from earlier in the chapter the sons of god coming down and dwelling with the daughters of men 
and destroying the lineage. Corrupting. Well, then what would all flesh be corrupted with? Now this gets you into all the things that we normally wouldn't talk about, and I certainly wouldn't. And uh, it's so gross and terrible and wicked that we don't talk about it. But that's the way that it goes. When man becomes evil, and the intents of his heart are only evil continually, what direction do you go? You go to the worst places. And there's a reason that God has to put laws in place in Leviticus about men with beasts. They say, well, unicorn, that's not natural. You're right. (laughs) But what if you've got some weird genetics added in? Well, then maybe you get unicorns. Was that possible? It looks like it's possible. You get giants. Uh, What do you get when you mix strange flesh? Well, why would God destroy all flesh if it wasn't corrupted by what He's trying to eliminate from corruption? And why would He purposely choose certain animals and not other ones? It would probably be, and I don't have a verse, I agree, I don't have a verse that says it, but He chooses ones on purpose that He puts in the ark that He saves, just like He chose certain flesh of man that He would save. Probably because those were perfect in their generation as well and were not taken into the corruption along with the rest of what was going on with the rest of the flesh of the earth. So then you could end up. It's possible that genetic modifications happen and you get beasts that are no longer what you and I would see. He could destroy them all in the flood. And now he's making reference to them. And you find out that he makes reference to them in other places. And you say, what are they? They also become spiritual beings. There's a reference to them as spiritual beings and different things uh, that you can find throughout the scriptures. So you say, where did those probably come from? I think they came from right here. I don't agree with that. Okay. I'm not going to tell you. Like, I'm just giving you an option. This is what I think, and if, if it came Genesis 6, and that's why all flesh is now corrupted in front of him, then that would be very easily explainable that that's why he destroyed all flesh. It was the corruption that was there, and God destroyed all that corruption. He wanted to eliminate it from what was there. So back to Job. Yeah, but the commentator says, okay, fine, go with him. I don't, uh, I don't care. You can go to the commentator and it's a weird rhinoceros, but that's just weird. Um, uh, you know, the problem, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to deviate just for a second. Don't mind me. Uh, the problem you have is you either are going to take the Bible as what it says is true or you're not. I was just having a conversation with somebody and uh, they talked about how, you know, guys, uh, going back to the Greek and everything, well, if I pull up the Greek on my phone right here, that word means... And they have six definitions for the same word. They go, yeah, so I can make it. Well, you can, but you know what cleared that up? A King James Bible cleared all that up. You don't need 27 different translations of the same word to figure out which word you like. God cleared that up and said, this is the word that it's supposed to be. Here it is. And either you're going to believe them or you're not going to believe them. Uh, Revelation is not hard to be understood. The book of Revelation, not that hard to be understood. It's hard to believe. I think it's harder to believe the book of Revelation than it is to understand it. To believe that God is going to wipe out literally a third of the earth's population all at once. I mean, you're talking 
two plus billion people. A third. And then he's going to cut that again by a third. Now you're talking three plus billion people. Yo, is that is that what it says? Read it. That's what it says. You say what's more believable? A unicorn. What's to tell you? And so he's talking about the unicorn. Will the unicorn, verse number 9 here in Job 39, will the unicorn be willing to serve thee or abide by thy crib? Canst thou bind the unicorn with his band in the furrow or will he harrow, uh, harrow thy, the, fields af, the valleys after thee? Wilt thou trust him because his strength is great or wilt thou leave thy labor to him? Say, well, what are you going to say about the unicorn? I don't know. All that. That's, that's all I know about him. All right, right there. Uh, he's evidently strong. He's great in that respect. Uh, he can labor, but obviously he is not to be trusted to go ahead just like any other animal. He's not to be trusted to bring the, everything out and put it all back and do it. He, he's an animal still. He's still a beast. Uh, wilt thou believe him that he will bring home thy seed and gather it into thy barn? And then you get to verse number 13, and we'll get into some normal stuff again. It's not unicorns. <laughs> you know, anyways. Uh, verse 13, he says, Gavest thou the goodly wings onto the peacocks, or wings and feathers onto the ostrich. So here he is, and now he's going he's gonna to pair two birds that are weird to pair. Um, you know, the world, wouldn't, the world wouldn't pair these two birds together. Uh, they never really do. Uh, the peacock... Versus the ostrich, uh, you think of those two birds. Those you just you're, those are opposite types of birds in your mind, uh, but they do have certain things in common, and that's what he's going to talk about a little bit. Um, or continue on here. He says, uh, "Which leaveth her eggs in the earth, and warmeth them in dust, and forgetteth that the foot may crush them, or that the wild beast may break them." Uh, number one about them, they're ground nesting. They're both ground nesting birds. Uh, they, they dig in the ground, they nest in, at the ground, and they, that's where they put their, their eggs, and they bury them, and they do that um, to keep them and to heat them. Uh, they both put them in the, uh, the eggs are not just uh, on the ground or on top, they bury them, they put them in the ground, they're in the dust of the earth, they put them down inside, uh, and so that's, that's what you see in the passage, the Lord already knows that, he's, he's designed them that way. And he says about them, notice back, back up just a little bit here, uh, gavest thou the goodly wings onto the peacock, or wings and feathers onto the ostrich. So he, he purposely knows that the wings of the peacock are beautiful, and that's what he's talking about, right? That idea of the beauty and what he's got. But he then contrasts the idea when you get there, they leave the eggs in the earth and warmeth them in dust and forgetteth that the foot may crush them or that the wild beast may break them. Uh, they're put there, and they, uh, they, that's it. They just leave them. <laughs> uh, whether somebody steps on them or doesn't step on them, it uh, doesn't matter to them. Notice what it says about it. It says in verse number uh, uh, 16, She is hardened against her young ones as though they were not hers. Her labor is vain without fear. 
She doesn't care whether they're crushed or not. She lays the eggs. She does what she's supposed to do. And that's it. Job done. She doesn't care whether that egg is hatched, whether the young comes out, whether or not. And that's, that's how they are. The Lord's describing exactly what he created. And why are they like that? Verse 17, because God hath deprived her of wisdom. Neither hath he imparted to her understanding. Uh, look back at chapter 38, verse 36. That question that he asked Job, who hath put wisdom in the inward part, or who hath given understanding to the heart? God deprived those birds of wisdom and understanding. They don't correlate the fact that that egg is their offspring. So they don't have any need to protect it. They don't think that way. They have a complete disconnect in that, in that respect. They have no wisdom to protect that egg, and they have no, no care or concern what happens to their young. That would be totally different from naturally what a human being is supposed to be. Now, we have all sorts of unnatural affections happening now, but the natural affection is to defend your young. Uh, you see it across the board in almost every animal on top of mankind. Uh, mankind, of course, is the ultimate of that idea, but the young, for most other creatures on the earth, are to be protected. That's what they do. But not these two birds. These two birds have no concept that they're supposed to protect them. They just, it's an egg, I laid it, I buried it, I did what I was supposed to do, I'm gone, we'll see you later. And that's why the Lord links these two. These two are particular about how they care for those things because they're oddities in how they care for those things. You think of birds, what do you think of? You think of the nest, and you think of those birds, and the, and the mom sitting on the eggs, or the dad sometimes sitting on the eggs, and they keep it warm, and they incubate them, and they get everything taken care of, and the eggs hatch, and they teach everything to that bird. They feed the bird, and then they get it ready, and then it flies, and it flies out of the nest, and then it can go. And, but they take care of it all the way through. Not these. These two birds are completely different, and that's why the Lord paired them. And the world wouldn't pair these two, but the Lord does in what they do. And so he says, he's deprived her of wisdom. Neither hath he imparted to her understanding. What time she lifteth herself up on high, she scorneth the horse and his rider. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, once again, uh, these guys, they don't major on flight. <laughs> the peacock and the ostrich are not big flying birds, all right? <laughs> That's not what they do. Uh, they're ground they're grounded most of the time. Uh, but when she wants to lift herself, she scorneth the horse and his rider. She's getting away. She wants to go ahead and go after some things. And she wants to get out of there. Uh, you say, what? From what? The hunter. She, she, don't want, she doesn't want to get caught. So she may fly a little bit just to get away, but that's about it. That's as far as they go. Uh, to lift herself up on high. That's about as high as she's going to get, is to get away from the horse and his rider, and that's all she cared about. Uh, there's nothing spectacular about those two birds in this respect. I mean, there's not a whole lot spectacular about them at all outside of, uh, and, and ostrich is just ugly. <laughs> ostrich is, can, can you imagine, compare the peacock to the ostrich. Like, that's why it's just so weird. You know, they got that creepy, weird neck and everything. I don't know. Um, and then you got the, you know, the peacock that's supposed to be this beautiful, like that's the picture of beauty and everything else. And then you look at the ostrich and you're like, eh, 
That thing's weird. Like, I don't know. Um, anyways, I don't know how I got on that. But uh, once again, so he's, he's just going right through, and he's talking about his creation. And as he's talked about his creation, he goes through uh, all these pieces, and really he's talking about every aspect of his creation and showing how, how unique things are that he's created. Uh, and he understands, God understands why he created them the way he created them. Well, you and I don't get that. You know, why do we have so many different kinds of birds? Why don't you make like three birds and be done with it? Uh, you know, why, why does the ostrich do this? Why does the peacock do this? Because that's the way he created them. He designed them that way. He designed them that way and they're used very well for an allegory. And, and you can make certain parallels. Uh, once again, I think to lost men and lost women and the loss of natural affection and how those things go, but uh, I won't belabor too much on that. Uh, but you see that in the creation. You understand that, that that's a normal thing. The Lord uses the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Uh, how do things work in the universe? Well, they work this way because of the way God designed what you can see. You can figure out certain things and certain aspects. And all types break down. I get that. But a lot of these... You can see, uh, and the Lord's kind of rerunning those over and over again for you to get. Uh, now he's going to get into the horse and his rider, and this is pretty interesting stuff here in just a moment, I hope. Um, we're going to cover this twice, all right, just so you know. So be ready. We're going to do this whole passage twice. The rest of the chapter, we're, we're doing it twice, okay? Uh, so verse number 19, he says, Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. He paweth in the valley and rejoiceth in his strength. He goeth on to meet the armed men. He mocketh at fear and is not affrighted. Neither turneth he back from the sword. The quiver rattleth against him. The glittering spear and the shield. He swalloweth the ground with fierceness and rage. Neither believeth he that, he is the, as, that it is the sound of the trumpet. He saith on, among the trumpets, Ha ha! And he smelleth the battle afar off, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. Uh, this is the horse right here. And the horse rolls into battle completely unafraid. He doesn't care. Uh, that's what he's talking about. Why did, why did they use horses and horses with chariots? and Because they didn't get afraid. Uh, you grab a lot of other animal and you try to ride that into a battle and all the noise and all the the, the noise of war, right? You get back in there into Joshua, right? Or with Joshua and, and Moses coming down off the mount, it's the noise of war in the camp. Well, most things, they don't like loud noises. <laughs> I mean, even uh, you can grab a dog, most dogs, they don't like loud noises eventually. They hear the, you know, uh, the thunder. They hear, they hear uh, you know, had fireworks over by the house uh, last night, stuff like that, right? They hear those, those fireworks, the ground starts shaking a little bit, and they're hearing the booms and everything else, and they, some of them cower. Horses don't. They're ready to charge right into battle. They'll go ahead. Let's do it. <laughs> we got a fight to have. Let's go ahead. Uh, they're not afraid. They're not afraid to go into battle. They hop on. Uh, whether, there's, whether there's a quiver of arrows bouncing up against them, they don't care. Uh, whether the guy's carrying his shield, whether he's got a spear in his hand, doesn't matter. He's riding and we're going. Let's do this. Uh, it doesn't matter if the trumpets are sounding off. doesn't matter to me uh, that they're blowing trumpets or anything else. I'm coming right at you. doesn't matter to me. They go right into the battle. 
Uh, of course, you know, you have the uh, all sorts of battles you can reference throughout the scriptures and the horsemen and the, and the chariots. They all just go right into battle. They don't care. Uh, the man on top of them might be afraid, but the horse isn't. He doesn't care. He'll go right in. He is strong and he is mighty and he goes in and he doesn't, he laughs off the trumpets. I don't care what those trumpets are. Get out of here. Doesn't matter to me. I'm just doing my job. I'm going in. Let's do it. No problem. And then you get to these birds. And he says in verse number 26, Doth the hawk fly by thy wisdom and stretch her wings toward the south? Doth the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? She dwelleth and abideth on the rock, upon the crag of the rock in the strong place. From thence she seeketh the prey, and her eyes behold afar off. Her young ones also suck up blood, and where the slain are, there she is. Or there is she. Uh, you say, what do you got? These, these are those uh, birds of prey, right? They come sweeping in. And those birds, and what are they... Are you the one who's decided how the hawk flies? By wisdom? You know what we had to do? We had to figure out how birds flew so that we could make a plane. Uh, and aerodynamics and how all that stuff worked. Uh, they studied birds so that they could figure out how, how, how that worked. And that was what God designed something that flew. How can I, how can I copy him and make it so that I can? Uh, God designed it and by wisdom. And... The eagle mounts up, and she makes her nest on high. I mean, you've seen those eagle nests right way up. I mean, they are up. <laughs> uh, nothing messes with those, right? Why? They're too high. Not, nothing's coming up there to go after them. And uh, the eagles set them up, and they get them up on high. And that's where she abides. She abides in the rocks, and she hides. And what, what does she do up there? She's just looking down at prey. She can see all the way. I mean, just the vision that those birds have. Those birds of prey are so tuned. Their eyesight is so unbelievable. You study it. I'm not going to get into all these little... It's amazing what they can see and the power. Uh, the power of an eagle is unbelievable. Uh, super, I mean, they'll take, they'll take you know, goats, mountain goats off the side of the mountain and drop them so that they can go eat them. I mean, that's just... I mean, they'll just rip them right off the side. They don't care. Uh, and the talon power and everything else, you can look at all that stuff. They're amazing, amazing beasts, and the Lord designed them, and they're so spectacular. I mean, you just, you just watch them, and we marvel at those. You know, we see them, and we're like, man, it's wings stretched out, and how it just soars, and the way they move, and even the hawk, just just the way the hawks, the vision for the hawk, and be able to pick things out, and be able to go after those at like a mile away, Things like that, they just see so far and be able to pinpoint exactly what they want, and then they go after it. Uh, and they they get all the way down to their young ones sucking up blood, and uh, notice where the slain are. There is she. If it's dead, they'll eat it. That's that's about it. They're no respecter of anything. They'll eat whatever. Uh, and nasty, nasty things on that side. Uh, but that's what they are. They're these powerful beasts. These birds are amazing. They're birds of prey, and they're set up that way. And so in general, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the, the horses and the birds as he comes in, those birds of prey. Now please tell me everybody knows what we're talking about. <laughs> Second Advent. 
And that's, isn't this entire thing right here, that's just second advent. The Lord's going, all right, uh, we've got horses, and they're going to go into battle. Completely unafraid, they're going into battle, and where the dead are, I'm going to bring some birds. All right, Revelation 19. If you didn't know where we were going, this is where we're going. I'm going to cover a whole chapter on a Sunday. How about that? One lesson right here. I got 10 minutes, so we got it, all right? Either way, I'm done with the chapter, even if I don't say everything I want to say. Uh, Revelation chapter 19, you know the spot, right? Verse number 11, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Revelation 19, verse 11, and I saw heaven open, and behold, there he is, a white horse, and there's the one sitting on him, and he that sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he shall tread the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together. Why? Because there's going to be a bunch of dead things here. And where the dead things are, there is she. Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and, the, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the throne and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet and wrought, that wrought miracles before him, which... Uh, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped the image, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. There it is. Uh, you say, what are we getting to? We're, right, we're getting to, right, this is chapter 39, we're finishing up chapter 39 of... Uh, Job, right? Pictured of the tribulation. Here we are. We're getting to the end, right? God's finishing up, ultimately dealing with Job, type of Israel. He's dealing with Israel. He's getting to the end of, of dealing with Job. He's getting to the end of dealing with Israel. And what shows up? Horses going into battle with birds eating their flesh. <laughs> Oh, it was Revelation chapter 19. When? When he's coming to redeem Israel and go ahead and rescue, ultimately, the idea of Job, the picture that he's already drawn out for us. You're getting to the end of the tribulation, and who's coming? Well, the Lord's coming. And what's he coming with? Horses. Now, here's one of the biggest things that people ask, right? Uh, we look around, and we don't use horses in battle anymore. What do we have? We have tanks. <laughs> we have humbees. We have, right? We... We don't use horses. Uh, I don't know if I am right. Once again, we're going with I don't know if I am right. Uh, what happens if you don't have technology anymore? We have EMPs that destroy all electrical. What do you, 
How do you drive a tank with no electricity? <laughs> Everything now, all of our vehicles, I mean, you can't get, you can't get any new vehicle that can, can't run without some sort of electronic component. I mean, you lose one microchip in that thing, you can't use half your vehicle. Uh, everything's automated, everything's all, and you think the military's doing anything different? <laughs> the militaries of the world, you know what they're going to have to go back to? I think you're going to have to go back to horses and chariots. And we're going to get a battle back on horses. So why do you think that? Because the Bible said horses. <laughs> I want you to know, eagles cannot eat the flesh of tanks. <laughs> They're eating something, and it's not just the, the, the riders. It's not just the guy who's in the tank. They're eating what he's riding on. Well, then it's not a tank. It was going to happen. Whether nuclear holocausts or uh, EMPs or whatever else uh, the Lord does or the Antichrist does or something's going to happen, and I don't know if it's before a trumpet sounds or after, but the technology is going to go. So why do you think that? Because horses. Well, yeah, but I mean, it says horses, but, you know, it's an allegory for, okay, go with your allegory, but I'm going to go with what it said, and he's coming with horses, I think I'm going to get a white horse, I'm going to get to ride a white horse back down as part of his army, and we're going to show up, and they're going to have regular old horses, and we're not. Say <laughs> so why, because our horses came out of heaven, and theirs were here, and we're going to come down. And the flesh of horses and the flesh of kings and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of those that were sitting on the horses and all these guys, you know what they're going to do? They're going to die and they're going to get eaten by birds. I only have one explanation for that. <laughs> What's that? That they don't have tanks anymore. <laughs> he makes the statement, right, that they're going to beat their swords into plowshares and pruning hooks. Right? Oh, that's their guns. I wouldn't be too sure. I, I know it's terrible to take the Bible literal, but that's what you're supposed to do, isn't it? Well, yeah, but we're so advanced. Until you're not. <laughs> I mean, right? You lose, you lose a power grid, and you got nothing. <laughs> what happens when a world loses certain things? See, we've become dependent upon technology. What happens if God removes your technology? You say, you could totally be wrong. I could totally be wrong. I'm okay with being wrong. I don't. Doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to be here. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't matter. I could be wrong, but you know what I believe? I believe what he said. And if he's calling them to a feast, and he's promising them the flesh of horses and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, then there's got to be horses. <laughs> and it makes no sense to me to send horses back into battle when you've got tanks. And bombers. 
you wouldn't. You'd go ahead and take that F-16 up, and you get your F-18 stealth, and you'd go out, and you would go and fight our native, our, our regular modern warfare. You go, yeah, but John's writing, and he's got to describe something that he sees, so he's using... Okay. Go for it. But I think John knows what a horse looks like, so I'm really not sure... It's going to be one or the other. So feel free. You can disagree with me. You can disagree with me about everything I said practically this morning. Uh, feel free. But the truth is, I just take what it says. And either he's right or he's not right. And those horses show up back there in Job chapter 39. And when he gets done, those, those horses went into battle and the birds are eating their flesh. And the horse is designed. He's designed to be that way. That rider, and they can go ahead and they can charge into whatever that rider wants to go to. If that rider gives the order, that horse will listen. And God designed him that way. And he made him in that battle. And that battle comes in, and the victory is supposed to be there because the horsemen will go in, and the horses come in with their chariot. And but the truth is, in the end, those birds show up and eat the flesh. And you and I, we'll be at the battle. <laughs> Won't be for us, but it'll be for him. And it'll be for Israel. And you're getting to the end of the book, and that's where we'll be. Uh, and once again, Job, Job's going to uh, say very little <laughs> in an answer in the next chapter. Uh, but God's got him in the place where he just keeps pounding away at these questions to let Job know, Job, I'm the creator. I designed this place to run the way that I designed it. I was talking to somebody this last week as well, and uh, they, were, they were talking about you know, an atheist and somebody they were dealing with. And I said, look, they asked the question, right? The question is, uh, you know, is well, what if heaven and hell, they don't exist? What if there's nothing? That's the atheist's approach, right? What if there's nothing? See, my problem is, it's not the question of what if there's nothing. Because if there's nothing, that doesn't matter to anybody. If there's nothing, I should kill you and take your stuff. That's what should happen. Because there's no consequences, so who cares? But the real question is, what if there is something? See, you can't deal with the atheist with the idea of, well, what if there's nothing? You, no, what if there is something? What if you do have a creator to be accountable to? What if you do have to answer to him? What if, as a creator, you look around and we believe there's a creator because the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The world can't explain how we got here. The world can't even figure out the fact that a world exists that humanity can be upon because it's so impossible for that to have happened that they still can't go ahead and just relinquish the fact that there must be a creator and a designer. But I won't get into all that again because we did that last time. And if there is a God, then you're accountable to your creator. And if you're accountable to your creator, he set up certain laws and rules and you've broken his rules. So there is a judgment about it. And if that judgment is true, then you have heaven or hell. Job, guess what? You're accountable to me. I'm not accountable to you. That's God's answer right here. Job, the reason why you're accountable to me is I made all this stuff 
I designed it and I even made you. So the idea that you're going to come up face to face and you and I are going to have a conversation like I'm going to justify you is ridiculous. <laughs> and if you'd like, I'll go ahead and tell you my position real quick and it's that I'm God and you're not. That's what he's done in these last two chapters. These last two chapters are all, Job, I'm God, you're not God. You want a face-to-face -face meeting? That's impossible. Because guess what? You can't stand in front of me, you'll die. I am beyond you. <laughs> and the only reason I'll give you audience is because I'm merciful and gracious. That's these two chapters. And he is telling, he, I mean, you're talking about, now I'm going over, darn it. Um, I got to stop. But you're also talking, remember, you're talking about the oldest book in the Bible. The first book written is this book, and you realize that God has already laid out what he is going to do to end all of time. He describes Revelation chapter 19 in Job 39. That's God. Right there. That's God. You go, well, how, how is he so... That, that, how do you get that? God goes, first book I'll have written down, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to end it. Just so you know. Heads up. Spoiler alert. I'm going to end it. Job 39, I'm going to tell you I'm going to end it. <laughs> Whew. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the day. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for, once again, just, Father, you do exceeding abundantly above anything we could even ask or think or comprehend for that matter. And Lord, we just, we thank you for just taking all of that and still reaching down. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? And Lord, the fact that you would deal with humanity, your creation, and be able to save to the uttermost and want to save, Lord, you're, you're an amazing God. Father, I pray you'd help each and every one of us to get a little closer to our Savior today. Father, we pray you'd bless the day in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.